Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup. Hi, I'm Rick Kelly. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. From the racetracks across Australia, and here's Inside Supercars. Welcome to Inside Supercars, Tony Whitlock and Craig Gravel. Well, uh, welcome race fans, because at the moment, of course, not many people are actually working in motorsport. It's just a question if you're a fan of the sport that uh, you're listening in at this moment. That'd be right, Craig, wouldn't it? Well, we have seen uh, cross teams that they have uh, taken the opportunity to get some of that days off in lieu, which they tend to, the team workers who travel to each race, tend to build up quite a number of. Others have said, if you haven't got uh, a lot of days in lieu, take some holidays. Um, I know that uh, Kelly Racing, they've been preparing this week for the staff to start rolling back in and they hadn't even touched their cars since Friday at the Grand Prix when they put them in the truck at Albert Park and they just rolled the truck in and said, everyone take a break and we're going to work out what we're going to do next. And I think particularly for the Kelly Racing team, they needed that break. But uh, we've also seen uh, teams like Triple Eight just using this opportunity. It's a very rare opportunity that teams get to lower the leave balances of their team members and to give them a bit of a respite, albeit home detention. (laughs) Indeed it is. Indeed it is. Well, we caught up with uh, somebody who's only just arrived here in Australian motorsport, a young journalist who has been carving his niche for the last three or four years in New Zealand, but making his name out there and uh, making himself known uh, to the point where uh, Brett Murray offered him a job at Speed Cafe and Simon Chapman Chapman is the newest recruit into Australian motorsport journalism and we had the pleasure of talking with him. So sit back and enjoy our conversation with Simon Chapman. Craig, uh, some other things happening around motorsport at the moment, I understand. Yes, the E-Series that uh, Sean Seamus spoke about on our show last week has really rolled on in in her vengeance. And they've committed to every single main game driver, regular series driver, is going to be part of the E-Series. So it could be a really interesting situation because with the graphics that are involved in these games now, Tony, I could very much anticipate that a casual viewer that hasn't got a lot of sport to watch might come across this and actually think it's real racing because such is the quality of the the graphics and also the way they can switch between in-car and regular um, out-car shots or track shots. Um, I'm really really looking forward to seeing how this goes oh and and on top of that we've got guys like you know uh shane van gisbergen who uh is a regular driver in uh in simulators he uh and uh, alex premer and a few other drivers over in the us and europe have been having challenges which we've spoken before about on the show where uh, they might go to the nurburgring and uh, one of them will set a time, send the time around to the group, and regularly Shane comes out and just blows that time away. So we, whilst we marvel at the supercar's real-world field being within two seconds of 25 cars, 
we could conceivably see six and seven seconds between guys that might normally be at the front down the back of the field. Yeah, indeed. It seems as there's not only uh, skill level in the uh, electronic world, but it's also uh, interest level because, as you've said in the past, you know, Dave Reynolds is one and there are others as well who don't really have a great love of it. Now, maybe it's because they like the uh, the real thing so much. But it, it's certainly going to be terrific to see. I think they've already announced that uh, Phillip Island and Monza are going to feature on the uh, first couple of uh, races there. So that's certainly an interesting thing. Um, and you said there's something around about Walkinshaw, uh, Ryan coming out and uh, offering his services to the government. Yeah, Car Advice have reported that uh, Ryan Walkinshaw has said that his company has you know, an array of 3D printing, which he's spoken to the federal and Victorian governments about whether it could be used to make ventilators. Now, over in the United States, there's been talk of GM and other motor manufacturers all being called in, almost uh, in a warlike effort to uh, start building essential supplies. Now, ventilators are used for patients who are in acute care to be able to assist their breathing. So it's a, it's a serious Peter hit kit. They do have patents on them and you would need to rip up the patents to allow other people from making them. But I do note that Elon Musk has delivered a 1,000 ventilators in California. So uh, obviously there's um, people out there that are getting around these patents and uh, moving them into a... Uh, into the real world, which is becoming critical because, uh, as I said, it allows a mechanical movement of air into and out of the lungs of a patient who needs assistance. And when we consider the coronavirus is, uh, is certainly impacting, it's an uh, impact on the lungs, that's why these units are becoming so critical to have available. All right, well, sit back and enjoy a few minutes in learning a little bit about Simon Chapman. Welcome to Inside Supercars. As you well know, it's a different format and a different time. Craig Ravel and Tony Whitlock, and we have a special new import to Australia, Simon Chapman from New Zealand, who is at Speed Cafe. Welcome, Simon. Hey, Tony. How's it going? All good with me. Um, Simon uh, joined Speed Cafe in uh, February of this year. Uh, I've known him for a couple of years uh, over in New Zealand Motorsport. Simon, we'd like to go back and find out where your love of motorsport came and, in fact, where your first connections with motorsport came from. Yeah, I suppose that was um, quite, quite a while ago. Um, if, if I could probably think back to when I, I first sort of had a, an interest in motor racing, it was at quite a young age, um, probably, I suppose, six or seven writing um, fictional races um, at primary school, um, yeah, just I guess one day the the light switch was flipped on, and all of a sudden I was just sort of really into motor racing. I went to my first uh, big event in twenty, sorry, I think two thousand and seven. It would have been the, the what, what was then the final supercars round um, at Pukekohe, and that sort of um, yeah got the got the wheels turning, and that's where I sort of found my my love of motorsport. Simon, it's been an interesting time to cross the ditch. You were covering the TRS with Tony, of course, there uh, at the very beginning of the year, but then you made the switch and had one supercars race and not much else to cover. <laughs> yeah, certainly a, um, an interesting time to, 
to make the move over. I guess, um, as we all know, the whole coronavirus pandemic has certainly uh, played out quite quickly. So that wasn't really even on the radar when I was considering coming over to Australia earlier this year. So, yeah, I suppose um, it was good timing then. Um, perhaps not great timing now, all, all things considered, but, you know, I'm, I'm here now. So you got to get on with the job and, and adapt to um, the challenge at hand, like I think a, a lot of other people are having to, to do at the moment. So I think you'll certainly see um, the industry have to adapt, and certainly I'm looking to adapt in terms of the way that I'm writing news stories because, um, you know, there's no motor racing on. So if there's no motor racing, um, we've got to look at different ways to, to cover the sport and, and give um, people that, that fix that they're, that they're after. How much do you know about uh, e-racing? Funny you should ask that because um, I actually have done a little bit of e-sports, um, not, not competitively as such, but doing a little bit of commentary work. And I, I like to do um, a little bit of racing at home, back home in New Zealand. That was always... Um, if I couldn't get into a real race car, that was the only way I could really get my fix um, behind the wheel was just in, in simulation. So, yeah, I know a little bit about it. So um, the other boys at, at Speed Cafe, I know initially, uh, weren't uh, particularly interested in it. So I've, I've definitely put my hand up and, and said, yeah, you know, I was one of the younger guys, definitely keen to, to get involved in it because um, it's certainly an untapped market for supercars, an untapped market for us. And, um, an interesting opportunity for fans and, and everyone really in supercars to, to try something new and, and see how it goes. Like I think you only have to look at what's happening overseas with guys like Lando Norris streaming their video games essentially and getting you know tens of thousands of views. You know you only have to look at that to see that it's certainly a market that's that's worth getting into. So I think it'll be really cool to watch, particularly because we've got a full field of supercars drivers, which is. Um, unprecedented in global esports, I guess, to have an entire sanctioned e series with with every single driver in it. So that's going to be really cool, and I think supercars have got a, an awesome opportunity here to actually do something really, really awesome. Speaking of such things as uh, coming into a, a new landscape, I last saw you. I think it was at uh, Hampton Downs, was it before you came to Australia? Yep. And you flew out of there, where it would appear that uh, Toyota New Zealand isn't gravely concerned about the size of the crowds they get to the TRS. It's a fantastic series. I'm not denigrating at all, but clearly Toyota's primary objective is about developing young drivers, uh, not about getting crowds of people through a gate. So you went from that to albeit a reduced crowd in Adelaide to probably the biggest motorsport event you've ever been to. Yeah, you're probably not um, too far off the mark there. Yeah, certainly um, coming to... Adelaide, the 500 is my first event. Um, having moved over to Australia was um, quite surreal. Um, seeing the the setup, not so much probably uh, the spectator presence, but just how big everything is and how well it's supported um, in the in the corporate side of things and from the team side of things. Like as you probably would have seen, um, the teams in New Zealand are, are very, um, and I don't mean this disparagingly, it's very backyard spec. You know, it's it's uh, very club racer. It's probably, if, any, if I was going to make any direct comparison, it's probably even just a little bit shy of, of the Shannon um, Motorsport Championship. Um, it's it's a different scene back home in New Zealand, and it's, that's kind of um, taken a hit over the last decade as a result of some of the um, the touring car wars that sort of went on there, but we, we won't get into that. But yeah, certainly 
um, the crowd size in Adelaide, you could tell that it was down. Um, having you know, I've watched just about every single Adelaide 500 since I first got into motorsport in um, 2007, I think it was. So yeah, you, you notice the fall off a little bit, but you know, it's still bigger than most things that you go to back home in New Zealand. You, you only really get that sort of size crowd once a year, and that's obviously at the um, the, the ITM Auckland Super Sprint um, at Pukekohe Park normally. But yeah, it was it was cool to to see that and move into that environment and. And um, yeah, experience something totally new and different. The one thing I've always said, and, and conversations I've had, for instance, with uh, Ross Stone, is that motorsport is much closer to the surface in New Zealand. Everybody knows somebody involved in motorsport. You know, somewhere on the line, whatever scale it is, whether it's speedway at Huntley or, or sprint cars at some, you know, up at uh, Western Springs, everyone knows somebody involved in the sport, which is far more than you could say in Australia. Um, and it's it's not just the physical size of this country versus New Zealand, but it's there's something about the way in which New Zealand has taken the motorsport, and obviously, you know, it still goes on today with so many young drivers on the international scene. Um, I, I imagine you'd almost see that uh, as a comparison between the two countries. Yeah, definitely. I think. New Zealand's, I, I suppose, and you kind of touched on it a little bit there. The proximity of everything in New Zealand is uh, a big help. You know, you can you can live north of Auckland and get to a racetrack within half an hour, you know, an hour at, at most, sort of thing. You know, if you if you're on a, on a good day, we see it. Um, you could get to two tracks even. Obviously, with something like Pukekohe Park and Hebden Downs, basically being with only only a few kilometres of each other. You know, I, I live. Um, just south of Auckland, I could get to Pukekohe and have them down within 20 minutes. I could get down to Bruce McLaren Motorsport Park in, in three hours, and then I'm down to Manfield um, in six. You know, I, it, it's not the same, obviously, over in Australia. Um, it's, a, it's a much bigger place, but I think just because it's so easy to get around, you, you certainly meet a lot of people. Um, it's, it's easy to get to the circuits, and, yeah, you, you generally find out if you meet a stranger um, and you start talking about motor racing and what you do, they're like, oh, you know, I know someone who does Speedway or I know someone who's involved in this. And, you know, it's, I remember quite a, a weird instance where I went down to um, my local tyre shop and um, needed to get a new tyre. And it turns out the guy who was serving me was an old New Zealand Rally Championship winner and he knew my old boss and I knew who he was basically through watching him on, on tally. So, you know, it's, it's hard to, to get around the country without knowing someone who knows someone um, in the industry. But, yeah, from what I've seen over here, um, it's certainly a, a different landscape. Um, and I think probably a lot of that comes down to just proximity of things. You know, I'm based on the Gold Coast, and it, and it takes a little bit of time to obviously get up to Brisbane and then get out to places like um, Ipswich and, and then Norwell and some of the other places like Morgan Park. So it, it's, it's probably not as centralised. Um, over in Australia, so yeah, and it's a much bigger place and much bigger population as well that you've got to factor into that as well. Simon, you uh, mentioned the closeness of Hampton Downs and Pukekohe, and we've seen with the now suspension postponement of the supercars calendar that we're going to have a situation where Hampton Downs might have missed their chance because you'd think it'd be unlikely that you'd race uh, two races back-to-back or a fortnight apart if you're trying to make up for, say, in the Melbourne Grand Prix at those two locations. You'd probably try to go to uh, South Island, North Island if you were going to do two races in New Zealand. Am, am I on the money there? 
I, I suppose it's hard to say at this point. Like most conversations that I'm having with people, you know, for a lot of them, they're saying, you know, this is day one for us. Um, it's still really early uh, to try and figure out where they're going to be within the next few months. Um, certainly on the New Zealand front, um, it's really hard to say or to pinpoint um, what's going to happen there. I think having listened to what some of the guys at Teed have said, they want to, I think, honour their commitment to Hampton Downs. Obviously, the Hampton Downs opportunity came about via there being a date clash with Anzac Day and the restrictions that Pukekohe Park had in place. So now that that restriction is no longer in place, potentially for Pukekohe Park, logically, you would say, well, you know, let's just go back to Pukekohe Park because we know how to do things there. And, it, and, it's, and it's probably fundamentally a lot easier just to go back to Pukekohe Park. But I think there is certainly a desire to go to Hampton Downs. Um, I don't see why you couldn't do both. Um, you know, fundamentally, it's not hard. They're only basically 15 minutes away from each other. Um, whether or not you would attract the crowd that you'd want to both those events, that's hard to say because obviously having two circuits back-to-back weekends would potentially hurt your crowd because you're not necessarily going to have a crowd that wants to pay twice potentially. So that's obviously a consideration. I know that um, for a while there, there was potentially talk of going down to Highlands Motorsport Park there. I don't know how um, developed those discussions were, but the discussion certainly happened. Um, yeah, it, it's certainly an opportunity that has been looked into going to the South Island from, from the Highlands point of view. Um, but whether or not that happens, it's hard to know at this point. There, there's been all sorts of discussions. Every single year you get a new rumour about what's going to happen, where's Pukekohe Place, you know, is Pukekohe Park going to survive all the noise restrictions or the, or the horse racing or things. So, you know, the, the, the situation changes fairly rapidly in New Zealand um, year by year in terms of what the situation is. But, yeah, I don't know. I, I can't say definitively what would happen. I think you're likely to see Hampton Downs stick around. I think there is a desire to keep that there because they are that far down the track with um, their negotiations. But who knows? Maybe they try and put Pukekohe Park a week or two after that and try and make a double header, like you say, to make up for Melbourne. It's, it's certainly not impossible. Um, but I guess we just have to wait and see because supercars are in a position now where they've not just got New Zealand to worry about. They've got several other rounds that are facing the axe or, or are going to be postponed to, to later in the season and that's all got to fit in. So there's only so many weekends in the year and we're going to lose probably the best part of, of three months. So, um, yeah, it'll be hard. But I can imagine if I, if I was supercars, and this is me speaking um, fairly loosely, if I was supercars, I'd probably want to go to Pukekohe and Hampton Downs to, to get those two back-to-back because why wouldn't you? You've got an opportunity. If you're making the effort to go all the way over to New Zealand, then why not just do a back-to-back round, whether that's one in the North Island, one in the South Island? I don't know, if it's, but it's certainly an opportunity and one that they'll probably look at. In fact, you raised an interesting question. In this time, uh, Simon, of uh, uh, everything's uh, you know up for grabs sort of thing because they've got to think creatively about it, here is a perfect opportunity for supercars to actually think creatively. Given that New Zealanders have this love of supercars, and I'm not saying necessarily because they're Australian, they love the fact that uh, Van Gisbergen and Scotty McLaughlin are doing such a great job. Um, and Fabian, and, and of course uh, Chris Bither, and um, Andre Andre Heimgartner. You know there are five young drivers there who have have really done a, a great job for New Zealand. 
But here you've got an opportunity where you have a limited problem or you have a problem with limited parking and limited access to Hampton Downs. Why not sell double header tickets? Why not, if you want to go to both, instead of paying, you know, what it would be a daily rate, whatever it is, but come up with an idea of saying, if you go to both, it'll only cost you, you know, 70% of what it would if you went to, to both sort of thing. There's it just seems a, a great opportunity to get the commitment from people to go to both events on back following weekends at Hampton Boogie, um, you know, and and as you say, there just is a great opportunity. I can't see Craig um, the South Island becoming part of the equation because you've got to move the containers, you've got to move the cars. There's an awful lot involved in moving it. Um, unlike, say, the Toyota series, which is well adjusted to moving shipping containers around, not so for the supercars. Bill Gibson and his freight boys are very good at it, but I reckon uh, moving from one track to another down the road, that would be capable of, of uh, being done. And uh, a doubleheader weekend, here you go, guys, here's a chance. That's something I've just sort of th thought of sitting here. But coming to work, you already worked on uh, Velocity. Well, you're a co-owner of Velocity, I understand, which is a New Zealand motorsport website. Is that correct? Yep. So coming to work for Speed Cafe was not a whole new uh, thing for you. Um, but how's it been the transition, you know, that here you're producing, you have to produce a lot more stories, I would believe? Yeah, well, it's, it's certainly a different setup. Like, I think um, back home, the, the scope for coverage is obviously uh, limited a little bit because you know, our, our championship certainly isn't as strong um, as supercars or even probably the, the Shannon's Nationals. Um, so you've got to you've got to consider basically we've got an entire website that's dedicated to Shannon's Nationals and a few other little bits and pieces, which obviously makes things a little bit um, tricky. Um, but you know it was it was it started off as a bit of a, a passion project. Um, and something you know that we could do in our in our spare time, and hopefully develop into something something really cool and and good. And we, I would certainly say we we got quite lucky, um, and we were fortunate that a lot of things played out the way that they did. You know, when I came into into motorsport as a as a journo and a and a photographer, I was quite lucky that we didn't really have much competition. You know, there were there were guys like Speed Sport, um, which eventually. Um, sort of went away. That's kind of what I grew up reading, and then all of a sudden that disappeared. And I was kind of like, well, you know, there's nothing to read now. So I ended up just writing this stuff myself. So that was sort of how that um, came about. We sort of grew up from there. I started off um, with me and my mate Matthew Hanson, who's uh, successful motoring Juno in New Zealand, who's doing some really good things with Driven. And then we had um, some support from Richard Gee, um, who's my mentor and has done a lot of good stuff for me. But yeah, it was basically just a thing for me to do on the on the weekends and while I was at university I could just plug away at this little website following motor racing not only in New Zealand but around the world and yeah that quickly turned into um, I guess the the leading motor racing outlet in New Zealand albeit rather relatively small because we didn't have quite much competition but you know it was it was something for me to do and something that kept people up to date with what New Zealanders were doing not only domestically but overseas as well you know we, we certainly became the go-to you know, to find out what was happening um, for the Kiwi drivers in supercars or what Nick Cassidy was doing over in Super Formula, a, a little bit of stuff that was probably a bit more obscure and hadn't really been covered in, in detail because obviously with the internet age, you can get hold of these guys so easily. You can just pick up the phone and somebody can be in Japan or North America or Africa and you can just call them straight away and you can generate a story within half an hour if you really need to. So I think we were certainly quite fortunate 
um, with the timing of, of how we got into it. And I was quite lucky to have quite supportive parents who were really keen to see me build something out of that. Um, and then eventually, yeah, got to the point where that led to some, some more opportunities and basically, yeah, here I am over in Australia now because of, because of that. Tell you that I don't believe in good luck. Yeah, it's one it's, of those things where you've got, to, you've got to work hard and, and dedicate your weekends. Yeah, yeah, we saw an opportunity and yeah. we worked hard on our weekends. You know, you sacrifice your social life for all of that stuff, and and you know you you basically plug yeah. away hard at it with some some long term vision. And you know, I'd always looked at Speed Cafe as being sort of the epitome over in Australia. I, I always loved supercars, and and that was what I was really into. So we always really focused on supercars back home with with our coverage, and it was always a goal of mine when it came to doing a race report, if I could beat Speed Cafe, happy days for me. I was really stoked if I could do that because I know that they had a really strong team and a good group of journos there. And, and that was always the aspiration for me was to potentially beat those guys if I could in, in New Zealand with what we were doing, but also obviously to get to that point where you could potentially be working alongside them. So, yeah, it was it was quite cool how that all played out. Um, yeah, I certainly... Yeah, I suppose luck probably isn't the right word, but you know, you work hard to get to the point um, where you're, yeah. you're starting to yeah. get numbers. So, yeah. Which brings me to a question. I've read quite a few of your pieces you've written. You've certainly been very productive and thrown in the deep end, arriving in Adelaide and being, we need stories. Come on, boy, where are they? Uh, not that Crush would ever treat you like that, but uh, I have known him a long time. I'd just like to know what you think the best piece you've done so far for Speed Cafe would be. Oh, gosh. Um, I've written a lot um, lately, as you can probably imagine. Um, yep. If I'm honest, I, I find I found a lot of satisfaction in actually some of the really early on stories that I put out around um, Dick Johnson um, and the the replica Ford Falcon that they ran at Lakeside. You know, that was that was quite a cool story. Not necessarily um, a traditional news story. And, and what I normally do in my day to day, but you know, a nice wee featurette on on Dick Johnson um, and and winning the Australian Touring Car Championship on on home soil, and that was you know I, I enjoyed writing that story and it, and it did quite well. So you get a lot of satisfaction when you write a story like that that really clicks for punters and, and gets people going. But yeah, I'd say that's probably one of the stories that I really enjoyed writing. There've been a, a lot of other neat things that have that have come out of the woodwork. Um, out of that first round at Adelaide, like I've, I've, I had to make the point to a couple of people that, you know, I've gone from New Zealand where you're basically writing about what is effectively in Australia um, club racing um, and maybe calling a couple of, of relatively well-known Kiwi drivers from overseas, being jumped straight into the into the deep end and, and interviewing guys like Tim Sindrick from, from Team Penske and Roland Dane from Triple Eight and you know, Mark Rushbrook from Ford Performance America, you know, these are pretty big names in the grand scheme of things for a, for a kid from from New Zealand who was basically watching it all on the telly um, only a few months ago, effectively. So, yeah, I, I'd say definitely jumped into the deep end, but I'm really enjoying it. And it's it's cool to to meet all these people that I've yeah, basically spent um, a lot of my childhood years growing up watching on the telly. Simon, I can honestly say that uh, it's been terrific uh, having known you before you came over here and uh, I can assure you that there are quite a few people who are noticing what you're doing and I, I in fact, will just make mention of quickly, I rather like the piece you did with Roland talking about Shane uh, Van Gisbergen's growth. It was uh, a story that came out of 
I think, one of Greg Rust's podcasts. Um, and I thought that was really well done. Uh, that very thing you're talking about is uh, hearing some words and taking a tune and making a story out of it. And it was well done. Um, we look forward to catching up with you again on uh, Inside Supercars. It's uh, terrific that you've been added to the fleet of Australian motorsport journalists. And you'd obviously realise that it's a fairly young fleet mostly over here. Um, but yeah, I, but I thank you again, Simon, when the, uh, the circus gets back on the road and uh, you'll be part of that. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, I'm looking forward to um, the series getting back underway at some point when that is. Um, we'll have to wait and see, but I'll certainly be trying to keep abreast of that um, and keeping people up to date with what's happening. So, yeah, I guess we've all just got to go um, stay home, um, weather the storm, and hopefully things calm down soon and we get to a point where, um, yeah, we can get back on the circuits and all say hey to each other once again. It's uh, been another big day of motorsport. Not much happening on track, of course, around the world, but plenty of developments. And uh, this is a time when people should go looking around the uh, internet to find all those wonderful stories and YouTube clips from times of old. So enjoy that. Craig, that's all from me for today. Yes, we'll be back on Friday with Macaulay Jones and his thought of the week. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next time for more or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited.